Welcome to Adam and Eve, your feminist radio show on CJSR. My name is Marco, and I will be your host for this evening. On today's show, we have some stories centered around youth, beauty, and childhood. We're going to kick off the show with some poetry from Charlotte Cranston, who recently finished her reign as Edmonton's first Youth Poet Laureate. Charlotte stopped by the studio to chat about what it meant to be the Youth Poet Laureate of Edmonton, and she performed for us live in studio. Let's take a listen. I'm Charlotte. Uh, I am a poet, mostly a spoken word poet, uh, but I write for the paper as well. I've been doing less writing lately since my term as Youth Poet Laureate of Edmonton ended. Uh, Now I have more of a focus on the the behind-the-scenes stuff, so I'm helping to manage the Edmonton Slam team. Uh, They're going to nationals next month, and I'm going to school for arts and cultural management. Wow. That's my that's my poetry background anyway. Yeah. Thank you for coming here and yeah. um, I've asked you to prepare a couple poems for us. Um, would you be able to read the first one? But uh, first could you tell us what it what's called and maybe yeah. some context of where it's coming from and Yeah. why uh, you wrote it? So, I'm going to first just do the first spoken word poem that I ever really wrote. You know what? I actually can't say that because I very recently remembered that I had another spoken word poem before it, and it's like a teenage poem, and it's really dark, and it's about like I don't know somebody drowning. It was based on a true story that I had heard my first aid instructor mm. tell me. So I'm not gonna do that one because it's weird. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna do a poem that I wrote when I was maybe sixteen, seventeen. So it, it's old, uh, but it's, it's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, it's called "Let It Flow." And uh, I had been working as a lifeguard at the time, and someone kind of joked about, um, uh, wouldn't it be so funny if Charlotte tried to rap? And I was like, yeah, that would be funny. So I did. (laughs) And it it goes over well with the audiences, so I was like, I'm going to keep this one. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. If it's broken, let it flow. Trust your heart and let it go. Let it flow, 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 flow. When I was a kid, my room was pink, a cozy, quiet place to sleep and think and cut out photographs of porcelain dolls to glue to my walls, to my bed, to my heart, to my head, but not to the mirror, though I tried to be nearer to these images, illusions, snapshot photographs, hoping that one day they would write on my epitaph. Here lies Charlotte. She was perfect as the sun. She was loved by everyone. And now her only marks are the words in the bark of the tree by her grave and the words that she gave. The words. The words. The words that she gave, that she sang, that she spoke, that she felt, that she wrote when you said she couldn't rap in ballet flats and she spat in your eye and said, screw that. I am Charlotte freaking Cranston and I think I'm pretty rad so I'll do what I want with the time that I have and screw all the pressures to look like the dolls that I tore from my walls once I got sick of seeing all the things I wasn't being because I can't be more than me inside the suit of human being. Fully equipped with a brain to register the pain of seeing a reflection that's so far from perfection this unattainable simplicity that mocks my complexity, my lack of infinity, and all that saves my sanity are the words that I tell myself every single day. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Just live by art and the big L-O-V-E and you'll find what you need. It's a game of hide and seek, though it feels like tic-tac-toe when I don't know where to go when I'm caught in the undertow of a manifesto. Deep into the night with a pencil in my hand making cracks in the dam and my only chance of surviving the flood of words pumping like blood is to forget all I know and let it 
flow. And that was that was let it flow. Let it flow. One of the first poems you wrote. Yeah, one of the oldies. Is, is that is <laughs> before there... Frozen came out? <laughs> <laughs> was there a reason that came to mind when I when I asked you to bring a poem about gender? That was something that I wrote in uh, high school when I was feeling uh, so much pressure in every way, um, and it, like for me that pressure was very gendered, uh, just like being a young woman trying to deal with, you know, wanting to be this perfect overachiever while at the same time, like, thinking, how can I accomplish anything or how can I, you know, find love or uh, be as successful as I want to be if I don't look in this way, which I knew was absurd and we all know is absurd, but, like, you feel it, you know? Mm -hmm. do, you, do you feel like the that that poem, even though you wrote it so long ago, still sort of captures the same conflicts you feel when you think about yourself and the way you express yourself yeah uh i mean i i keep it with me because i still think it very much rings true um and i like that i have a piece that um that is as old as it is because it's a constant reminder of who i was growing up and the person that i need to stay true to there's always going to be a specific type of pressure on me um and it's always been there and it's always going to be there you know what I mean mm -hmm. yeah do you find that you revisit gender at all now when you write yeah yeah, yeah. I mean there's more talk about it now for sure mm -hmm. and it's something that uh and just as I grow I'm more comfortable with over time so it's always there in the back of my mind and sometimes in the forefront of my mind where I'm just like you know what screw everything <laughs> like let's yeah let's talk about this I, I'm so impressed that it's a poem that's from so long ago, because I feel like <laughs> most people I know who write, um, they're so embarrassed by things they wrote when they're that young. Um, so, I don't know, do, does that, do you ever feel that? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got some terrible... I once uh, stayed up all night writing a poem called The Orange Painted Sky of Tomorrow. <laughs> like, it was it was as bad as it mm -hmm. sounds. The Orange Painted Sky of Tomorrow. It was like because the street light outside of my house was kind of mm -hmm. orange because it was dingy and gross out. <laughs> but I think it's a... I think it's kind of a misconception that young poetry is necessarily bad because, mm -hmm. you know, I've worked with a lot of young writers. That's a huge part of my life. And they can throw down some serious truth because they're a lot less uh, censoring themselves. They are a lot less censoring themselves. Mm -hmm. Grammar is fun. <laughs> and, and, you know, sometimes when you're so afraid of avoiding cliches, uh, your work just it's just talking around everything. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're a little bit younger, um, you tend to see the world with fresher eyes and you don't always know the things that are cliches because you just haven't lived as long, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so some of the stuff that comes out of young poets is absolutely mind-blowing, you know? And young people, especially teenagers, feel so much so intensely uh, and are still often very new to these feelings. Uh, so they can just get up on stage and be like, I'm going to bleed right now. <laughs> um, and often in a much healthier, more productive way than adults do because they say there's still a hope there. You know, I'm going to bleed for you, but I'm also going to heal. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas sometimes we forget to do that as as adult poets. Yeah, or you, you become paralyzed by the... Mm -hmm by the the thought of wanting to be good or whereas yeah. like to in order to be good you have to try things and maybe sometimes the whatever it is you throw out there isn't that great or it's not your best but yeah uh, you just have to give it a shot and see what happens oh, that's yeah. so interesting I think that's true mm -hmm. um it's maybe easier to just let put truth down on yeah. the paper <laughs> uh, and worry and not be worried about um 
whether it's good or not when you're younger mm-hmm. and then you kind of learn to be like oh this is a cliche or mm-hmm. I could have said this better that's so interesting yeah, yeah yeah I mean I think there is so much merit in poetry that you've written when you're younger because you can go back anytime and mine it for its goodies because there are going to be some serious goodies in there and sometimes it is going to be kind of embarrassing but you get far enough away <laughs> from it and you're like <laughs> that's funny yeah and you almost your young self endears itself to your current self you know it's like oh I just <laughs> little Charlotte I just want to make you proud of mm-hmm. me you and know? little Charlotte struck a chord with you today. Like yeah. You're still reading her poem. Exactly. So. I have my first poem that I ever wrote uh, framed in a shadow box in my house. It was four and a half. That's wonderful. And I love that thing. So you were the first youth poet laureate mm-hmm. of Edmonton. Um, so I don't know. What was that, what was that like taking on a, a new position like that? And did you feel... I don't know, anxiety about being the voice of the youth of Edmonton at all? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, it was one of the most beautiful difficulties I've ever had um, because I did feel an immense pressure to uh, represent as many voices as I could while being very aware that I have exactly one that mm-hmm. I can use. Um, so I really tried to make my priority, uh, you know, working on figuring out how to uh, create programming um, that will get other young voices out there. Um, where can we, how can we build spaces that are ac- accessible to young people? Um, and how can I make this process easier for uh, future youth poets laureate? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there were a lot of hurdles because it was such a new position. Um, and I was like this 21 year old from out of town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, so, Everyone involved was sort of still figuring out what the role was, and I really felt like I could take on whatever aspects of that that I Mm. really wanted to. Um, So instead of focusing too much on the performing and the writing side of it, I was more interested in the programming Mm. um, and getting my my teenage poets to come up Mm -hmm. and perform. So what kind of programming did you do as the Youth Poet Laureate? My main program was called Young Edmonton Poets, or YEP. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a a free workshop series where uh, we would meet, usually in a library. They moved around a few times. And uh, the young poets would just show up, total drop-in. I'd usually have cupcakes or cookies or something because I'm a grandma at heart. (laughs) And I would bring in a, a fairly established, like, usually spoken word poet. And they would lead a workshop. And sometimes it was like a really just sort of loose discussion period. Sometimes it was more free writes. um, And then other times it was kind of just playing around with Mm -hmm. different prompts. And then from that, I would try and uh, bring in as many opportunities that I could find out in the community as possible. So anytime there was a show that maybe uh, was looking for young poets um, or some kind of other workshop series that they might be interested in, I would try and bring that opportunity mm-hmm. to to the young poets. Uh, and then uh, I think it was in, I want to say like November or December of last year, uh, the young Edmonton poets, the yeppers, as I like to call them. <laughs> Cute. Cute. <laughs> uh, they performed a set uh, on CBC Center Stage. Wow. Yeah, which just made my heart sing. Mm-hmm. And then in April, during Poetry Festival, they did a showcase as well, which made my heart sing even louder. 
What was it like moving from being a, a a young poet to sort of in the role of fostering other young poets? Did did that feel like a strange transition to you? Like convincing yourself, like oh, I have knowledge to impart onto these young people, even though mm-hmm. you're still very young yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't a strange experience because I do have a lot of experience working with uh, young people, whether like they're my peers mm-hmm. or people slightly younger than me, uh, working with you know youth right and uh, having been like a, even a swimming teacher, first aid instructor for so long uh, that that's a pretty normal natural mm-hmm. part of uh, of my being. <laughs> so so it, it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. It was more just adjusting to like. Oh, my dreams are coming true. Aww. You know, when I was a kid, I used to fantasize mm-hmm. about programming. Mm-hmm. You know, creating uh, spaces like I used to want to do a debate club, newspaper club, all these different clubs, uh, or just general writing clubs. I thought, oh, I could be a creative mm-hmm. writing teacher mm-hmm. in a grade five classroom because I read about one in a book once. So that was probably the biggest adjustment. Was okay. just like suddenly I have all these opportunities and I have a year to do them or to take them. Yeah. What am I going to do with that? That's amazing. So, were there any uh, figures in your life that you feel like helped um, cultivate your own voice? Oh yeah, pretty much like every female writer in Edmonton that I have met, um, whether through like poetry festival, through Youth Write, um, through Breath and Poetry Collective, has just been like, oh, those are the sort of things that that someone like me can do. Mm-hmm which has just been pretty amazing. And there are certain people, I, I would say exclusively, exclusively women, who will sometimes get up on stage and have this power over me. Like, sometimes I can even tune out their exact words. Like, it, it just kind of goes in an ear and out the other because I'm so just focused on, like, the magic that they are creating with their presence and just how raw and, like, earthy they can be. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I I think that sometimes there's this perception that arts communities are very um, cutthroat and unwelcoming, and that kind of can put people off from wanting mm. to join as someone who's totally green and not knowing what they're doing. But I found that a lot of the times people are very excited to mm-hmm. see young talent, even if it's sort of like in this wild <laughs> form and not quite focused. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's. It's, I think that's good. A good message to get out there that there are people who are even if they're very accomplished in their field, that will want to hear your your sort of your new stuff. And, oh, yeah. yeah, especially in the poetry community. And I find, you know, the older the people in the community are, the more excited they are about seeing young people. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you can go up to a microphone, you know, 15 years old, never used a microphone in your life, uh, reading off a piece of paper or your cell phone, trembling the entire time, and these people will just be like, you are brilliant mm-hmm. because they see not only the beauty of your performance, but also the v- massive potential um, that you display just by being a young poet mm-hmm. um, and having the courage to take that on at such an early age, right? Absolutely. Like it's, it's a lot. Yeah. You know? And like just the bravery of standing up and speaking your mm-hmm. your piece, I guess. Yeah. And, and there's so many different ways to kind of arrest people and in, in a metaphorical way like, <laughs> like you said someone can go up and like not have anything with them and really like shout and, mm-hmm. and like really grab you but someone can also come up with their phone and sort mm-hmm. of very quietly read what they're saying and it can still just you know grab yeah. you in the same way yeah we have a few young poets starting to come out to the breath and poetry collective because it's at masala cafe now mm-hmm. so it's all ages yay! yay so we have like you know these 16 17 year olds coming out and a lot of them will read off their phones and i'll just be like 
who are you? What is what is happening right now? I don't understand what's happening right now. Just did, did that happen? Mm-hmm. Did you know that this could happen? Did you know that this was a thing? Everybody, are you are you seeing what's happening right now? Like, just losing it. So did um did taking the position of youth poet laureate change the way you write at all? Yeah. 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 Because I certainly started um, experimenting with other styles, which is something I'd done in the past as well. I'd get really into one poet and then start trying to emulate that exact style and just play around with it, Mm -hmm. see what tasted good. Um, I also just, you know, met a lot of other people uh, with, you know, different perspectives on poetry that I was interested in exploring. Uh, So that certainly changed the way that I write. And I also kind of tried to write it for a broader audience Mm. because I became very aware of how in the spotlight I was. And, you know, I'd get commissioned to do a piece that represents Edmonton. And I'm like, I've only lived here for a few (laughs) years. And uh, I'm such a small Mm -hmm. part of the city. How do I pretend to Mm -hmm. know all that there is to know about it? You know, it's a city of stories. Every community is. And I have exactly one. But you did it. But I did did (laughs) the thing. (laughs) Do you have a favorite story from your time as Youth Poet Laureate? Oh my goodness, that's a tough question. Uh, probably when I first became Youth Poet Laureate, and I think I was telling you about this earlier, uh, I, I went on live television, uh, breakfast television, and the interviewer, it was my first like appearance as Youth Poet Laureate too, um, like before any radio, before anything else, <laughs> before any stage shows, I went on live television. The interviewer asked me if I could come up with a poem on the fly. <laughs> So I improvised a limerick on live TV. Do you remember the limerick? Oh, man. It was like, it's breakfast time here on the TV. I hope that my courage doesn't leave me. Something like (laughs) ridiculous about that. I think it ended with like something about my friend Stevie. Like (laughs) it was it was true poetry. Mm -hmm. That was high art. Yeah, Yeah. totally. You know, unfiltered, just pure Raw emotion. I believe you have one more poem for us, so uh, would you be able to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, this is one that I wrote for a poetry festival event. I did a bunch of events this last festival, Um, uh, and this one, oh yes, it was to do with a screen to stage so um we were to write poetry about either a particular movie or um like a a segmenter of a movie or a trope so I chose to write about the way that women are portrayed in uh, pop culture specifically movies and television more so television because Netflix is a thing and binging (laughs) is a thing so I tend to do uh, television more than movies these days Uh, and just like the Characters that I most strongly identify with tend to have, like, the very specific set of of qualities all across the board. And that's fine. You know, they're funny caricatures. The issue is when people take that to mean uh, this is, you know, their character arc is going to be the same as yours. Mm-hmm. You know, you're type A and this person on TV is, so therefore it is my duty as the main character of my movie to liberate you from this prison of your, you know, need to make your bed in the morning. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just want to be like, yeah, just chill, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so this is the poem that I wrote for that event. We all know which character I would play in every pop culture hypothetical. Those little quirks, my sweet foibles, always charming, as long as they smell of citrus. 
As long as they come home at the end of the day with neat boxes with neat bows. As long as they remain pre-washed and pre-packaged for your convenience. And I know which part of the show we're in right now. I've seen this episode a thousand times, still waiting for the script to make sense. This is the part of the show where I let down my hair. Run. Sprint so fast my heels kick dirt over the trail of bobby pins leading back home. This is where I learn to love. Learn to live. Really live. As though I weren't born with the smell of dirt pressed into the lines of my palms. As though this were the first time I tasted real air. As though hanging shoe organizers and purple microfiber feather dusters somehow flattened me into less of a person. Isn't she cute? Isn't it adorable that the chaos under her hair swings dull mallets between her eyes, reminds her that nothing in this world lies within her control, not even herself? Don't you love the way she obsesses over arranging the pens on her desk? Wouldn't it be funny if we flicked one? It won't hurt. Live a little the third time you offer me a beer. Live a little when you feel it's appropriate. Live a little, but not when I'm alone. How dare I purchase spontaneous plane tickets without your permission? I mean, good on you. Are my decisions only heartwarming when they were never truly mine? I make a splendid peach cobbler. Some days I go for walks with a leaf pressed against my chest tucked under a scarf. I kissed a man in the rain once, but I still think dogs are better than people. Sometimes I get sad. Sixteen hours of Netflix because I've forgotten how to feel sad. A little too neurotic for Manic Pixie Dream Girl, a little too quiet for Bubbly Bestie, a little too this, a little too that, a little too not enough. Now isn't that a frustrating paradox? I've got more where that came from. I love structure, but I hate when it's imposed. I love label makers, but not labels. I love boxes, but not when women are shoved inside. I watch YouTube tutorials on how to fold a fitted sheet on the days I feel most like my life is a mess. And I love fiercely. Just not always in the ways that you do. And I'm gentle. Softer than the dwindling sways of a rocking chair's echo. But I still don't know how best to tell you. The script was never yours. I've been improvising all along, so let me. I've never met a mess I couldn't handle. That was poet Charlotte Cranston reflecting on her time as Edmonton's first Youth Poet Laureate and the importance of supporting young artistic talent. You're listening to Adam and Eve on CJSR. My name is Marco and I am your host this evening. Often on our show, we hear from a predominantly adult, dare I say grown-up, point of view, but issues about gender, role expectations, and beauty are just as important to kids. Our next segment was provided by the counselors and campers of Eurocamp, a summer camp that pulls together play and philosophy to inspire kids to explore new ideas. What you are about to hear is a discussion between a group of campers aged about 12 to 13 years old as they discuss and think about the very big ideas behind beauty. Okay, yeah. so we'll start we'll start by just going around the circle. Everyone just uh, tell us your name. Okay, hi. I'm Cecilia. Hi, I'm Colin. I'm Jordan. Vance. I'm Finn. Jimmy. I'm Kaiser. We'll we'll get to our question here, which is 
is Beauty Worth Pain? Uh, so a little bit of context for our listeners. Uh, earlier today, we explored a few different beauty rituals um, from different parts of life, different parts of the world for men and women. And uh, we experienced some, experienced some successes, some failures, and that's that's brought us to our question here is is beauty worth pain why would anyone do all those things that we did so like ripping their eyebrow hairs out or gluing fake eyelashes onto their face or you know doing push-ups and sit-ups some people just try to make themselves look beautiful or just for their hobby like they just like to do it for fun um, I think at first we use their appear- uh, people's appearance to judge people. Like if you're interviewing a job and you looks really like and you look really like a robber, and then maybe the manager will just say, "Hey, get out! You don't fit here. You're a robber." So hmm. I I do think um, the appearances is a bit does a bit matter, but not but not that much it's it's an interesting point so beauty does something else besides just attract mates it also says something about who you are yes I think some people just like to express themselves through changing their body or fashion accessories not necessarily for any purpose aside from just looking good in their opinion Cecilia yeah, and you two have a point. I just thought of like what Jimmy said, like uh, how we dress and how we like look and how we act kind of demonstrates what class we are in. So if we have really ratty clothes and like dirty hair and grimy fingernails, people will generally assume that you are uh, poor or homeless. While if you're wearing really really flashy clothes and like makeup and you have like this big like huge purse that's like super expensive people will generally assume that you are from a very very like that you have a lot of money so we also another another function of beauty perhaps then is to (coughs) not just say something about what kind of person we are like whether we're a robber or someone who would be a good candidate for a job but something about our wealth and our our status in society yeah, basically, yeah. Also, I think sometimes we use beauty as, like, kind of a showcase. If you're, like, doing some sort of, like, special cultural dance or, like, cultural ritual or something, usually you wear makeup and certain clothes that would only be used for, like, those purposes. So I also think beauty can be used to, like, show culture. So so beauty is cultural? So different cultures have different ideas of what's beautiful? Yeah, yeah. Do you think beauty standards are fair? Um, I think it's not quite fair. Even you're in the same community as Cecilia mentioned, you may have your personal opinion that you think, yeah, green green is better than orange, and why everybody else wear, wear orange. But maybe you'll be literally influenced by the others, other people surrounded you. Because when you're, when you're young, the people around you can affect you a lot. They can affect your way, if affect your thoughts that you see the world. Um. So 
Yeah, like Jimmy said, it's not always fair. Like, but also it's not fair to us because it gives us、um, ridiculous body standards. Like in the magazines, all the pictures are always photoshopped. So like the wo- a woman is looking through the magazines and looking at all these beautiful women, and then that downgrades her view of herself. You're looking at all these skinny, perfect women, but that does just doesn't happen. Our bodies can't be that skinny. Like in the pictures, the photos are edited to make it look like that can happen. But like nobody has perfect skin. Nobody is perfectly skinny or has that perfect nose or whatever. It's we're we're all. Imperfect. That's what makes us human, and like then women are just women and men everywhere are just starving themselves and working themselves to their limits and like even dying because of those images of beauty. It's it's not fair to us because we're thinking that we can look like that, and and then we're just hurting ourselves. We just heard a roundtable of young people, about 12 to 13 years old, in their discussion about beauty from Eurocamp. Thanks so much to the camp counselors and the campers for letting us air excerpts from their discussion. You're listening to Adam and Eve on CJSR, and that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. For more Adam and Eve, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Adam and Eve, and tune in in two weeks' time for another episode of Feminist Radio. My name is Marco, and I have been your host this evening. So long for now.